0: You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Well, turn in your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. After so many chapters and rounds of Moses and Pharaoh going back and forth, back and forth, they finally collide. And Moses and Pharaoh collide a little, but that's not mainly the battle. It's Yahweh and Pharaoh now enter into a cage match together. And really even beyond, as the plagues unravel, the variety of judgments and wrath that descend on Egypt, it's not even just Egypt and not even just Pharaoh, but also all the idols and all the false gods that are in Egypt, the Lord says, I will topple them. And from beginning to the end of the plagues, we see that there will be blood and frogs, and bugs, too. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word as these words come to us in the very royal authority of Christ himself. And beginning in verse 14, we read, then the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, When you see him walking out to the water, stand ready to meet him by the banks of the Nile. Take in your hand the staff that turned into a snake. Tell him, Yahweh the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, let my people go so they may worship me in the wilderness. But so far you have not listened. This is what Yahweh the Lord says. Here is how you will know that I am the Lord. Watch. I am about to strike the water in the Nile with the staff in my hand, and it will turn to blood. The fish in the Nile will die, the river will stink, and the Egyptians will be unable to drink water from it. So the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, canals, ponds, and all their water reservoirs, and they will become blood. There will be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even in the wooden and stone containers. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and his officials, he raised the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad the Egyptians could not drink water from it. There was blood throughout the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same thing by their occult practices. So Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned around, went into his palace and didn't even take this to heart. All the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink because they could not drink the water from the river. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, this is what the Lord Yahweh says, let my people go so they may worship me. But if you refuse to let them go, then I will plague all of your territory with frogs. The Nile will swarm with frogs. They will come up and go into your palace, into your bedroom and on your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens, your kneading bowls. The frogs will come up on you, your people and all your officials. Then the Lord Yahweh then said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, canals, and ponds, and cause the frogs to come up onto the land of Egypt. When Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same thing by their occult practices and brought frogs up onto the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, appeal to Yahweh the Lord to remove the frogs from me and my people. Then I will let the people go. They can sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, you may have the honor of choosing. When should I appeal on your behalf? On behalf of you, your officials, and your people, that the frogs may be taken away from you, your houses, and remain only in the Nile. Tomorrow, he answered. Moses replied, as you have said, so that you may know there is no one like Yahweh the Lord. The frogs will go away from your you, away from you, your houses, your officials, and your people. The frogs will only remain in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord for help concerning the frogs that He had brought against Pharaoh. Then the Lord did as Moses said, the frogs in the houses and courtyards and fields died. They piled them in countless heaps. And there was a terrible odor in the land. But when Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the land and it will become gnats or lice throughout the land of Egypt. And they did this. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and he struck the dust of the land and gnats were on people and animals. All the dust of the land became gnats throughout the land of Egypt. The magicians tried to produce gnats using their occult practices, but they could not. The gnats remained on people and animals. This is the finger of God, the magician said to Pharaoh, that Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Let's pray together. Holy Father, may we listen to you now. May we realize that we've been freed to worship you in spirit and in truth, that you have let your people go, that there is an empty tomb, there is a risen Lord that leads us in procession. You have set the captives free. So help us now, King Jesus, by your spirit and in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there are two at least two occasions a year when the shelves at HEB are all out of milk, even almond milk, all out of bread, all out of water. It looks like a zombie movie scene. And the first time it happens is when we get the occasional hard freeze. All native Estonians, we overreact to the hard freeze. We start searching all the apocalyptic verses. Did Jesus say anything about freezes? Blood moons, yeah, earthquakes, sure. Anything about freezes in a humid climate? Nothing. Then we chill out. The second occasion for when the shelves go empty is not an overreaction. It's hurricane season. We are all familiar, if you've been in Houston for a while, with the chaos and catastrophe that a hurricane can bring to a city. saw it with Harvey, the floods and the food shortages and power, the deaths and gasoline shortages. Hurricane Harvey was one of the most chaotic and really catastrophic things I'd ever seen. And I bet if you were here, I'm sure it ranks up there for you too. And what's happening here in Egypt, plague season, is chaos and catastrophe on another level. Pharaoh refuses to let the Israelites go, and God unleashes nothing short of chaos on Egypt. Now, in Egypt, in the spiritual dynamics of Egypt, they believed in something called ma'at. And this was Pharaoh's job, to to control the ma'at, the peace, the security, and the normal way of living in Egypt. And the Lord says, I will take that ma'at that you crave so much in Egypt and I'm going to grind it into dust in my hand. There is no longer any ma'at in Egypt. There is no more peace in Egypt. There is nothing but chaos. As the plagues increase, the pandemonium increases greater and greater. And it stretches all throughout Egypt from from the waters to the land and into the air. A complete war. That God brings on Israel. And here's why. Because God attacks our idols. God attacks our idols. Look at verse 16 of chapter 7. So God sends Moses to meet Pharaoh one morning out on the banks of the Nile. Maybe he's bathing. Maybe he's going to make an offering to the God of the Nile. We don't know, but here's what happens. Here's what God tells him. Verse 16. You tell Pharaoh, that Yahweh the Lord, and when you see in verse 16 and all throughout the Old Testament, when the Lord is capitalized that way, it's always Yahweh, his personal name that's first revealed in Exodus. So I'm just kind of saying it every now and then just to remind you what's happening. So Yahweh the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, Pharaoh, let my people go for this reason so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But so far you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. Here's how you will know that I am the Lord. Watch, I'm about to strike the water in the Nile, with a staff in my hand, and it will turn to blood. So he tells Moses and Aaron, go out, take that staff that turned into a snake, and you strike that water, and it will turn to blood. And then raise, before you do that, raise it up all, all over Egypt, that their canals, their tributaries, their offshoots, their water reservoirs, and even that stone jar in Antietam's house will be filled with blood. That when they go to try to get a drink in the morning, they're just going to pour out blood. And when they go to maybe go skip some rocks across the Nile the next morning, all there will be will be blood. Verse 20 what happens? Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He said all those things. Now look at verse 20. And the sight of Pharaoh and his officials. This is like a movie scene. They are seeing each other, eyeball to eyeball, there on the banks of the Nile. Moses and Aaron pronouncing the judgment. Aaron, you've got to get this in your mind the power of this moment. Aaron grabbing that staff, and then, whap, blood splashes up. Blood everywhere. These riverbanks are now literal blood banks. This is unbelievably disgusting. Don't let that be lost on you. Imagine seeing a river of blood. Some of you might be getting woozy now. Just, oh, man, throw up. People get woozy just in weak at sight of a little blood. This is the Nile River now. The horror and disgust factor is through the roof, and that's the point. Every time blood is mentioned in the Bible, it's meant. It's always connected to judgment, sins, death, payment, atonement. So the disgust and horror that we feel over blood, God says, good. That's how you should feel about your sins. Uncomfortable. Disgusted. Wanting them to go away. And this brings us back to chapter 1. What does Pharaoh do? He throws these Hebrew boys in the Nile River. He puts blood in the Nile by murdering these boys. And Yahweh says, you want blood in the Nile? I will give you blood in the Nile. I will give you nothing but blood. Pharaoh cannot escape the blood that's on his head. Everywhere he would turn, blood. Everywhere he would go, blood. And what's crazy is that there must have been some places where God didn't change the water. Because what happens? Pharaoh's occult magicians, they're able to do it too. And Pharaoh's like, huh big deal, and he leaves. But do you notice how silly it is? Why would you change this pure water to blood? Here's why this is dumb. You could have drank that. And instead of removing the blood and turning it all back into water, what do they do? Oh, we can do this. They make things worse by not submitting to God. They make things worse by pretending they're just as powerful as God too. And friends, the same thing happens in our lives instead of submitting to God, humbling ourselves before him, when we try to show, oh yeah, I can do stuff too. I can take control of the situation. I can do this on my own. We end up making things worse. Lock it in. So Pharaoh's magicians leave. And think for a moment the panic this would cause throughout Egypt. The the Nile, they say, gives birth to Egypt. Egypt is Egypt because of the Nile. There's not enough water to drink now. Shipping and receiving has shut down in Egypt. Are you going to put your boat in blood? No way. No more importing, no more exporting. There's no fishing to be done. Why? All the fish are dead, the Bible says. So their main drink, water, gone. One of their main dishes, fish, gone. And add on top of that, it smells horrible. Imagine right now if all the banks closed tomorrow morning. You can't get access to your money. Debit card shut down. The stock market collapses. Grocery stores are empty. And now it smells like dead fish everywhere. You know, there are some smells you never forget. The first diaper you change and dead fish. I'll never forget our first house. It had this nice little lake right there in the middle. call it a lake. It had like a big pond right in the middle of the neighborhood. Good for running or thinking about going running by or going on walks by, and you, you always had to drive past it. And it was during one of the major droughts we had in the last few years, a major drought where the, the lake was nearly emptied, and all of the fish died and just got cooked over and over and over throughout our wonderful Julys and Augusts. And I would drive by there, just, you had to hold your breath when you're just trying to get home. And then you'd lay in bed at night, and it's one of those smells that just gets stuck in your nose. You're laying in bed like, I can still smell it. And you're, putting, you're just trying to, it's just there. Imagine all of Egypt covered with the smell of dead fish. I mean, God has thrown Egypt upside down. Because if you remember, a few chapters ago, the Hebrews complained to Moses, you've made us stink to Pharaoh. Now we reek to him. And Yahweh says, you do. I got another smellful. He wants blood in the Nile, I'll give him blood. You reek to him, I'll give him something else that reeks. And remember, God's not just like out to get Pharaoh. This is an attack on the idols and false gods of Egypt. That's why he says in 717, here's how you will know that I am the Lord. As he says in 810, so that you will know there is no one like the Lord. When he turns the Nile to blood, what he's doing is God is showing Israel and God is showing all of Egypt that the God of Egypt that's over the Nile, happy has failed. Happy ain't happy no more. Happy could not protect the Nile from Yahweh. So the Lord is already showing, I am the Almighty. I'm not like these Egyptian gods and goddesses you have. They have their little job descriptions. No, I am unlimited. I am not a regional god. The Egyptians had a God over the Nile, they had a God over the desert, God over the sun, God over, they had gods over all kinds of things. And Yahweh comes in and says, Guess what? It's just me. There is no one like me. I am not limited. Oh, that's cute, you have a God over the Nile. I'm the God of the universe. And I made all this just by speaking it. And the frogs show the same thing. Look at 8 2. Pharaoh doesn't listen, his heart is hard. 8 2. If you refuse to let them go, then I will plague all your territory with frogs. The Nile will swarm with frogs. They'll come up and go into your palace, your bedroom, your bed, on your houses, your officials, your people, your ovens, your kneading bowls. The frogs will come up on you and your people and your officials. Now, I know you're thinking, what's so bad about frogs? I like frogs. I eat frog legs. This is great. More frog legs. Well, no, nothing's not that bad about frogs unless, you know, I can admit, Natalie and I both admit, frogs are kind of sketchy. They're a little shifty. You never know which way they're going to jump. And I remember she was trapped on our porch because there were two frogs just sitting at the front door. She's texting me, come get these frogs, come get these frogs. They're disgusting, but they're harmless. And they're annoying. I remember when it was, it must have been frog mating season because there was this one frog Next to our window, before we replace the single pane window with double pane, this frog is just sitting there croaking and croaking and croaking. This guy or gal, whoever, you know, I'm not judging, all, all night long. And finally at 2 a.m., it's like, I am ready to crush this frog. I gotta sleep. So I go out there, my PJs, my flashlight. I'm either gonna catch this frog and crush it or just throw it over my neighbor's back, over my neighbor's fence, because I gotta go to sleep. Maybe you have your own frog testimony too. I can take that irritant and blow that up by a million. Frogs everywhere. Even in Egyptian hieroglyphics, the symbol for frog is the number 100,000. Because there's so many of them throughout Egypt. Now imagine them everywhere. Imagine you leave church today, you go home, you got you a little pizza, and you're going to heat it up. You open your oven, 50 frogs jump out. You freak that's exactly what the Bible says. They will be in your ovens, in your kneading bowls. You're going to make some cookies, you know, for your, for your missional community night. You take out your KitchenAid mixer, frogs all in it. You're trying to go to the bathroom in peace, which is rare if you have young children. And frogs are squirming themselves out of the toilet. It's disgusting. And that's the point. God is making everything uncomfortable in Egypt. God is making everything disgusting in Egypt. So I don't know if you're like me, but I get a little like stomach cramp. And you're just like, oh, Lord, what did I do? You know, you just start wondering like, why are you plaguing me? Maybe I'm the only one. (laughs) Lord, why? I won't do that again. Just over like, oh, my stomach hurts. Not I have frogs all over my house and in my bed and in my pillowcase. God is making everything uncomfortable. God is making it so bad to where no one can say, oh, everything's fine. No one will walk around Egypt, hey, Amon, how's it going? You know how it's going. We got blood everywhere and frogs on my house. No one is able to say everything's okay. God is making it clear in Egypt, and will continue to make it clear in Egypt, that repentance is required. God is working in a variety of ways to get their attention. A bunch. Water to blood, frogs, lice, flies, livestock dying, hail, boils, locusts, darkness. God has a variety of ways to get our attention. Where are you resisting God? And how is God trying to get to your conscience, to to get to your heart and to get to your mind that you must repent, that you think, I must obey now, I I must believe, I, I have to turn to God. So where are you resisting God? And he keeps giving you signals to your heart. You you turn on a song and it reminds you of the sin. Oh, I gotta repent of that. I need to confess this. Your friend sends you a random text and it just brings that thing up into your heart and into your mind again. You're watching the news and it just reminds you, I've got to confess. It's like there are frogs in your ovens. It's like there are frogs in your toilet. It's like there are frogs in your shoes. You cannot escape the reality, I've got to confess. Don't act like everything is okay. Your okayness is not helping you. Confess and, and repent. Whether it's blood everywhere or frogs everywhere, from the water into the land, God's judgment cannot be ignored. And, and this one gets Pharaoh too. Look at verse four, chapter eight. The frogs will come up on you. To Pharaoh, your people, your officials, there are frogs jumping up on Pharaoh now. So no social class, no economic class can evade the wrath of God. White middle class, upper class, river oaks, woodlands, slums of Kenya, none of us can evade the judgment of God. And Pharaoh begins to relent a little. Look at 8.8. Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and said, appeal to Yahweh. You may remember when Moses first meets him, he says, Yahweh says, what does Pharaoh say? Who is Yahweh? I don't know him. Like, I should obey him. Get out of here. Now he knows, oh, I know about Yahweh. Appeal to him for me, that he would remove the frogs and get them out of here. And Moses says, okay, fine. And then Moses evangelizes him. Look at verse 10. As you have said, so that you may know, Pharaoh, there is no one like the Lord our God. There is no one like Yahweh, including you, Pharaoh. There's no one like happy. There's no one like God. He's better than happy over the Nile. And the Egyptian god, Heket, which is the goddess of fertility, had this frog head. That was their symbol, so they all knew what frogs meant. And Yahweh is saying, look, Heket is not like me. Happy is not like me. There is no one like me. Believe it, Pharaoh. That's what we were singing. There is no one like our God. Love immeasurable and strong. And here the Lord is saying, believe it, Pharaoh. And Redeemer Church, you believe it too. There's no one like him. Because the world will try to tell you there are, there are other versions of how to get to God. World religions, there are other ways. God and Jesus, those are just other brands and other ways of religion. No, the Bible says there's none like him. Even if we tried to follow the advice of the coexist bumper sticker, which we must coexist relationally, everyone is worthy of love and dignity and and respect. But our beliefs cannot coexist. Because Christianity teaches that everyone will appear before the judgment seat of Christ because there is one man who was crucified and there was one man that God raised from the dead and has given him a name that is above every name, above the name of Pharaoh, above the name of Genghis Khan, above the name of Caesar, above the name of Hitler, above the name of Trump, above the name of Metters, and above the name of you, at which every knee will bow. And every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no one like him. No one who turned his body back on three days after being crucified. So Moses cries out to God. So you'll know this. I'll get rid of the frogs. And the frogs stop pestering the people. But how? What happens to them? Verse 13. The Lord did, chapter 8, verse 13. The Lord did as Moses had said. The frogs in the houses and courtyards and fields died. Whoops. Should have said, can he get them to go back? They piled them in countless heaps. And there was a terrible odor in the land. Yippee. But when Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart. He didn't believe. Same with the gnats. It could also be translated lice or mosquitoes. I, I just... Hope to God for that it wasn't mosquitoes. They would, have, they would not have needed all the others. It would have been mosquitoes, so maybe you can imagine if it was mosquitoes. But I think it is lice because flying things are next. So it goes from water, Nile to blood. It goes kind of halfway, water, land, frogs, and then we're going to land. And it says in chapter 8 that Aaron strikes the dust, and it all turns into gnats or lice. Showing that set, the God of the desert, no power over Yahweh. Yahweh controls the Nile. Yahweh controls the frogs. Yahweh controls the desert. He's showing them your idols are nothing. And listen, beloved. This is a message for us too right now. Because how many idols do we have in our own lives? Things we look to for comfort. Things that we try to manipulate to have a sense of control things that we look to to give us a sense of peace or or for power or to provide for us instead of God. See, God is not only concerned about the idols in Egypt, but the idols in this room that we've all smuggled in. Ones in our hearts where where we think life only has meaning and I only am happy and I only have worth if I can have this or if I can do this or, or if I achieve this, if I experience this. If I own this, if I have this kind of house, if I have this kind of car, I don't care how much debt it takes, as long as I can have this. I only have worth if I'm loved in this way. I only have worth if I weigh this certain amount. I only have worth and value if I have this kind of friend or I have that kind of friend or if I make this much money or have this much in savings. I mean, on and on and on. We all have idols. See, our idols are just as real. Idols really are just misplaced worship. We either worship the Lord or we worship an idol. And idols are really also just misplaced dependence. We're either dependent on the Lord or we are dependent on an idol. And our idols that we smuggle in to places like this are even more dangerous because they're culturally accepted. If somebody came in wearing a happy Nile God necklace, be like, hey, can we talk? Somebody comes in with a lot of ambition and a lot of drive and, and a lot of greed, disguises those things. We just say, oh man, what a hard worker. An idol is when we take a good thing, and we turn it into a God thing, an ultimate thing. Like the Nile is good, God made it, but you turn it into a God, idolatry. Frogs, good. Turn them into an idol, bad. The desert, fine. Turn it into an idol, bad. Wealth, it's good. Find your worth in your balance, it's bad. Romance, it's amazing. But pursue it at all costs. Rejecting God's commands, throw them to the side, idolatry. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 3 For you died, Christian and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Since those things are true about you, if you are in Christ, therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. What, Paul? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Paul says, these are all idols. It's not just set. It's not just happy. It's not just Heket. It's not just Ra. It's not just Buddha. It's impurity. It's lust. Second glances. Anger. So what idols is the Lord plaguing in your life? that he just keeps putting his finger on and saying, see, I told you. There's no one like me. No one can fulfill you and satisfy you and comfort you the way I can. Why do you keep looking to the bottle? There is no one who can care for you the way I can. So why do you keep looking to your bank account? You must know, beloved, Jesus already defeated your idols. And you don't have to pay homage to them anymore. He has set you free. You don't have to find life or meaning and purpose in those things anymore. Because what does Paul say? See, when Christ, who is your life. I love this description of Jesus. This is one of my favorite ones. Yes, he's Alpha and Omega. Yes, he's the Son of Man and the Son of God. But this is like one of his other nicknames. Christ, who is your life. I used to have this shirt. There's a picture of me wearing this shirt. You know, I love basketball. I'm terrible at it, but I love basketball. And I'm wearing this shirt in fourth grade, and it says, basketball is life. What an idolatrous shirt. Christ, who is your life. He's where we find our identity. doesn't matter what else the world wants you to find identity in. No, Christ, your worth, your value is in him. And this is countercultural. Because take the Nile away from the Egyptians, what happens? They're devastated. Take Jerusalem away from the early Christians, so what? Christ is my take away popularity from American Christians and politics and in the West, so what? Christ is my life. I lose my job, health, Christ is my life. I remember sharing the gospel with this nice, kind of hippie guy down in Houston at a coffee shop, at Catalina Coffee, and I see him studying Buddhism, and I've got a stack of books with me. I think I'm studying for a sermon. And I begin, we began to talk and talk about the simplicity of life and, and the afterlife and what's happening. And then he asked me, if you couldn't read books anymore, would you still be happy? I got a stack of books. I said, totally. Audiobooks have come a long way. I mean, they're great. You can totally do all kinds. He says, okay, fine, fine. Do you like being a pastor? Yeah, it's great most of the time. It's got its ups and downs just like anything else we do on earth. Okay, well, take that away. You can't be a pastor anymore. You still happy? Absolutely. How? You, you went to school for this, you study for this, you give so much of your time to this. This is like your whole life. No. I'd still be happy. How? I have Jesus. Okay, take him away. Said Brad, you can't. Because he says, I am in the Father's hand. And he has me in his hand, and no one can snatch me out of his hand. And it is the will of the Father that Jesus would lift me up on the last day and present him to himself. You cannot take him away because Christ is my life. Is Christ your life? I know that Christ is your Sunday. That's not what Paul says. Christ who is your Sunday. No, Christ who is your life. That everything is revolved around him being your Lord, you following him, you enjoying him, you being loved by him. And do you notice that what one of Pharaoh's magicians says after just the third plague happens, it's in 819. This is the finger of God, the magician said to Pharaoh. This is something divine and dynamic at work here and we can't stop it, this is bigger than us. This is the finger of God. Remember what the Lord said? He's going to let you go when I stretch out my hand. This is just his finger. It is getting closer to us. We're just seeing his index finger coming. More is on the way. Pharaoh's heart was hard. He would not listen. As the Lord had said, Jesus captures this exact same thing when he tells a group of skeptics who won't believe who he really is. As he's casting out demons, like, oh, he's casting out demons because he, he's in a cahoots with Satan. They're kind of doing like this, Robin Peter to pay Paul kind of thing. Jesus really isn't who he says he is. And listen to what Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty: 20. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus says, I have power to defeat the demonic powers with my pointer finger. The kingdom of God is here. He defeats the demonic powers with hardly any force having to be flexed because there is none like him. He defeats the idols in Egypt and he defeats the idols in our heart by his death on the cross, by those hands, by those fingers, by those feet, by those toes being nailed to a cross and by blood that's better than the blood of the Nile by him being struck, him being hit by the wrath of God. And he shows us that we are freed to worship him. This is the theme over and over. Let my people go so they may worship me. Let my people go so they may worship me. Let my people go so they may worship me. Who do you worship? Sometimes I know people gather on Sunday mornings to worship themselves to worship their own spirituality so they can feel comfortable, so they can feel right with God. Look, I came to church. It's a worship of self. But if you know you've been freed from your sins by the cross and tomb of Christ, you gather to worship him. This is the theme of Exodus. We've been freed to worship him. Or maybe you worship a God that that you've invented, A God that you like, I think God is like this, and I think God is like this, and I think Jesus is like this. You know, I like to picture my Jesus in a a tuxedo shirt with angels' wings. See, when, when the Lord says, I am who I am, he is saying, you cannot edit me. I am who I am. You cannot add to me. You cannot take away from me. I am who I am. Is that who you worship? the God who is all-powerful and yet all-loving. There is no one like this who has ultimate cosmic authority and yet loves you and loves those who are dead in their sins. And instead of opening up the garbage bin of the universe and flicking you into it like a little gnat, he lays down his life where his immeasurable power and immeasurable love, they all collide on the cross. That he loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he shows his immeasurable power by being completely laid open, naked, ashamed, hands nailed, feet nailed, unable to move. But he has all the power in the world. He says, I could rip myself off of this cross. I could call down legions of angels, but because of my immeasurable love, I will not. And by his immeasurable power to defeat death with death, he then rises from the dead. He has authority to bring himself up from the dead again so that you and I could be free to worship him. Do you worship him? As the plague of the cross fell on Christ, Do you listen to him? My sheep hear my voice, he says. Pharaoh does not listen. It's repeated three times. He would not listen. He would not listen. He would not listen. Delayed repentance is a dangerous game to play with Yahweh. Listen to God's words, his commands, his ways, and worship him, his love. Listen to Christ who is your life in everyday life. Just like you would listen to the next Hurricane Harvey. You would take precautions. You would get the food. You would get the generator. You would take prep. You would listen. Listen to the gospel message. That whoever confesses with his mouth Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive you of all of your sins and to cleanse you from every unrighteousness. Repent and believe. Listen to him today because there is no one. Here. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.